It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Okay, I'll tell you what, I think this will be an interesting program because last week, if you remember, was Mother's Day. Wow. Mother's Day. And we talked about mothers. We talked about mothering. We talked about every child starts out with a mother. And it is the job of the mother to provide all that a child needs. And sometimes that mother can be an adopted mother. It can be a grandmother. It can be whoever. If the if the birth mother, for any reason, Uh, is not there or cannot be there, but every little child needs a mother. You know why that is, folks? Because you will hear the phrase over and over again, a mother's love. There's no love that makes up for a mother's love for her child. You all know that. That's why That's why kids without a dad, they tend to be a little spoiled. <laughs> why, well, it's the mother that'll give them all you know, the treats and, and uh, the mother that'll give them a little piece of candy or whatever. So anyway, that's the idea of a mother. So last week was Mother's Day. Well, I want to tell you a story. It was uh, 30-some years ago. In National Religious Broadcaster Convention in Washington, D.C. Now, at that time, Christian radio hardly ever mentioned abortion or anything of that sort. It was thought to be controversial. We don't want to talk about that. It was thought to be politics because the media had said it was. So we avoided and all of that. But we were in Washington, D.C. at a National Religious Broadcaster Convention. And the son of Francis Schaeffer. Now, those of you who don't recognize that name, Francis Schaeffer was a tremendous theologian. He was a brilliant man. And, uh, and he wrote so many wonderful books. But he was dying at that time. He was supposed to be our featured speaker at that convention. But he was dying at that time at Rochester, Minnesota, at, uh, at Mayo Clinic, um, and his tumor was so large at that time that he couldn't even uh, button his overcoat. And yet, are you listening to me? His son said, my father, nevertheless, is outside standing with a group of pro-life people to let it be known his protest for abortion. And he was standing outside of a hospital well, I'll just go ahead and tell you it was Methodist Hospital in Rochester, and they did abortions. So he checked into to St. Mary's Hospital there while he was with Mayo Clinic because he said it's so serious that he wasn't going to darken the door of a hospital that did abortions. And so his son stood on the platform on that 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 winter that winter probably it was in February and said, my father was supposed to be the featured speaker, but he can't travel anymore. But I spent a lot of time on the telephone talking to him about what he would have said if he were here to talk to you people. And he talked about the importance of life, the precious gift of human life in every human being given by God for his purpose. And it was so electrifying 
that uh, the, the whole audience, they went out of that convention to various towns and cities from where they came uh, and wanting to do something. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And there was the Metzger family that was there at that convention, Al and Vitey Metzger and their family. And Marilyn Lewis at that time, uh, she had been Marilyn Metzger, but she was married to David Lewis. She was a very young woman. And she was a spark plug. And she said on the way home, back to their home in the Midwest, Kansas City it was, uh, why, w let's do something. Well, we'll start. We'll start a crisis pregnancy center. What should we call it? And they called it the lighthouse. You know what a lighthouse is. It's to show the ships that there's a haven there's a port, there's a place where there's a harbor, and they called it the lighthouse, where young women didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, didn't know where to turn, and uh, they were conflicted, and they could turn to the lighthouse. And that's what they named it. And they started it, and other people came alongside some of them said, hey, I'll put some money into that. Some other people said, well, I will, I will, I'll be a volunteer. Uh, many people, you know, it takes a team. It takes many people with the gifts or the resources that God has given you in order to make something happen. Now, uh, the, the physician, the doctor who delivered babies was Don Philgreen from a wonderful Christian family. And he'd become a doctor. And uh, he was very young, of course. This is 31 years ago or so. And, uh, and so he said, I'll be the doctor. I'll take care of the, the babies and the mothers and do that part of it. So uh, Don Philgreen, 31 years ago, delivered the first baby at the lighthouse in Kansas City. Here's what he told me just the other day. Well, Dr. Philgreen, Dr. Don Philgreen, 31 years ago, you were a lot younger doctor than you are now. Tell That's us, true. Tell us about that. Well, I had been in practice in Ottawa, Kansas for 15 years and became part of the initial development of the lighthouse and I left my practice in Ottawa, Kansas, the end of June, uh, 1985, and came up in, on July 1st of 1985. I officially was uh, became an employee of the Lighthouse, and we had our first baby born the next day. The very next very, day. Very next day. It was very interesting because. All the, there were a whole bunch of people that had raised money to start the lighthouse, and they were all at the Royals game on the 1st. And we were there uh, in the stands, and Larry Lance, who was the security man there, they didn't have uh, cell phones and things like that at that time. He came running up, and he said, Dr. Philgreen, Heidi's in labor. And Martha and I just got up and left. And so she didn't, uh, Heidi didn't deliver till the next morning. 
and uh, but it was an exciting time that first baby. Yeah, uh, Don, uh, in your medical practice, um, by the way, how many babies did you deliver for the lighthouse that perhaps, perhaps would have been at risk for abortion had the lighthouse and the pro-life ministry? This is thirty years ago. That was all kind of new. How many babies have you delivered for the lighthouse? Those years, I've delivered almost a thousand for the lighthouse. A thousand babies. Yes. How many babies have you delivered during your medical practice? Three thousand nine hundred and seventy-two. In the Kansas City area. Yeah. Well, there were there were about a thousand down in the Ottawa area, and then the rest were up here. Ottawa, Kansas. All right. Well, thank you. Tell me before we leave now, do you love the Lord? I love the Lord dearly. How do you feel about about people who are so desperate, they don't know what to do, or maybe they don't even understand the importance of the life of an unborn child? Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry for them, because I can understand the dilemma that they face. And that's why, you know, why the Lighthouse got there in the first place, is to provide that alternative so that a woman wouldn't have to abort her baby, that she could find a place to deliver it and get care. And so that's why I came up, and that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. All right. All right. See, folks, now listen. Uh, it, it, it takes a team because God gives each person early on what, they, what they're inclined toward. Some are musical, some are this way, some are inventive, some are mechanical, some are sports-minded, or whatever. Some like, to, some like to grow up and make money. But whatever the resource is that God has given you, well, then absolutely you still serve him as one of his children. You can look in the Bible all over the place, and that's what you're certainly going to find. But now that was 31 years ago, and I just met. Are you listening to me? I just met the young woman sitting across from me in the studio uh, who was that tiny little baby, that tiny little baby, and her mother was little 19-year-old Heidi. And little 19-year-old Heidi, she'd probably made some mistakes. You know, when she probably thought, man alive, I didn't know this would happen or whatever. I don't know what was in her mind, but she chose the lighthouse. She chose the lighthouse, first of all, because it was there. And then, I suppose, because somebody told her about it. And then she had that little baby girl 31 years ago. And she's in the studio with me right now. So, Aaron, Aaron, uh, what's your middle name? Rebecca. Rebecca, Aaron, Rebecca Simpson. God bless you. Tell us what your reflection is on all that you've heard so far. All that I've heard so far, I think it's really amazing. And I think it's amazing how Dr. Felgreen got involved with the lighthouse and delivering the babies and that the lighthouse exists at all and other places like that exist or else the babies, something else might have happened to them. We don't know. See, now in your case, the lighthouse also provided adoptive parents who just said, well, the God is opening up our heart and our home and our lives to invest in a child 
who need somebody to care for them, to love them, to train them, uh, to educate them, and everything else. Tell us about that. Well, I had a really, really wonderful childhood with my parents. My dad worked full-time so that my mom could stay home. Sure. And these are your adoptive mom and dad. And it's interesting now because you call them your mom and dad because that's all you know. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. And they loved you in that very same way. Tell us about that. So when I was growing up, I, I never felt a lack of love or I always felt completely loved and cared for and like I belonged in my family. And I have a lot of good memories. The childhood was the best time of my life, I would say. And of course, life gets better still, but I love my childhood and wonderful memories. And of course, growing up with my brother who was adopted, that's another story there. But that was wonderful as well. Tell us a little bit about your growing up. Were you were you were you taken to church? Were you taken to Sunday school? Were you led to to realize that the Lord uh, is your Savior? Tell us about that. Yes. So we grew up in a really wonderful church, and we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> you really got the PhD course, didn't yes. you? Yes. Yes, I learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, what about what about your lifestyle? Was music important? Yes, yes. We we played instruments in my family. That was not an option. So I grew up playing the piano since I was five years old. That was a big part of my life. You know, practice an hour a day after school. Always oh, give right? or take. Yes, yes. And I wasn't always appreciative of that back then, but of course now I'm really grateful for that because I think music plays an important role in our lives. So well, it sure is. You know, if you think about it, in human development and human existence, music is one of those things that is part of who we are. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about your mom and your dad. Tell us about your dad because he he passed away. Tell us about that. Yes, he was wonderful. He was uh, he was always present in my life, and I could tell him everything. And he was a really loving dad. You know, he. Um, I have I have all good memories with my dad. He was wonderful. He was really funny. He can make anyone laugh. All of my friends love my dad. Um, everybody misses him now, and I know we definitely miss him. I'm looking at a picture of him, Vincent Simpson, S-I-M-P-S-O-N. Yes. He was your dad, and uh, now he passed away. Yes. About- Would you say that he invested his life uh, e- effectively in what he did with you and your brother. Absolutely. I would say he dedicated his whole life to it, really. Nothing wasted. No, nothing. And he enjoyed it. Oh, yes, very much. Let me much. ask you another question. Did your mother and father love each other? Yes, very much. They were very devoted to each other. Did that help the atmosphere of the home and the unity of the home striving toward common goals? I'm sure that it did. It did. Of course, I'm 83 now, so I'm looking back, and I can see in retrospect how important it is, the atmosphere of the home, the love of the parents, one for the other, and then focusing on the family, focusing on the children, focusing on what the unit is between a man and a woman and a husband and a wife and a mom and a dad. So that's really wonderful. Well, Aaron, uh, your music now, that was all out of the church, I guess, as well. That was part. Did your parents kind of encourage that? The piano, did you have another instrument or anything else? 
No, I I tried the flute for a little while, but I found that it gave me a headache. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I tried. Uh, I love music, but piano was the main thing for yeah. you know my brother and I, and he does other things now, but yeah. piano started it all. Was that was that where you could use that then in the in the church in the activities and things that you you, you were participating, not just coming and sitting on a chair. But you had things that you were actively engaged in. Right, right. I got to play occasionally in church, and there were competitions in school, and, you know, sometimes just for family I would play just for their enjoyment. See, this is so interesting for me because I well remember that message brought in Washington, D.C. at a National Religious Broadcaster Convention to that whole audience. And I remember how it excited people thinking the value of life, how Jesus himself said, let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, and when they were arriving back all over the country, I've said many, many times, I know that that audience left Washington, D.C., scattering back to wherever they came from, saying, well, we are going to get involved. We are going to do something. We're going to take up the cause. And around them, each and every case, other people came and said, we want to be part of the team. We want to be part of those who help. And part of that team, folks, is to allow your heart and your home to be adoptive parents if that is what God is leading you to. Tell me, did your mom and dad feel that it was a wonderful investment of their love and their time to do what they did? Oh, yes. I would definitely say yes. You know, wherever I ask you a question, it is an automatic, it is an automatic <laughs> response. I mean, it just bubbles. Yes. Tell me now, you, of course, grew up then, and now you are a, a businesswoman, and, uh, and uh, you, you are quite an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> did, did your dad kind of instill that entrepreneurism in you? I'm not sure. My dad was really, really smart. He was a civil engineer, and he worked hard. So I would say, you know, that was he was a really good role model for me in that, in that aspect of working yeah. hard. He didn't own his own business, per se, but he was a, good, a great role was model for me. Was he doing something he enjoyed doing? Yes. It really seemed like he loved his work, I would say. Yeah. He was good at it. Isn't that nice? Yes. I told you earlier, I have a, I have a little saying on the mirror. Uh, where I shave every morning and said, if your work is work, well, you're in the wrong kind of work. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. doesn't mean that every day is a good day. That doesn't mean that everything is coming up roses every time you turn around. But it does mean that you enjoy what you're doing. And I think that's so important. Yes. And, uh, well, God has used you. Isn't it amazing? 31 years ago, I was a lot younger. That's for sure. I didn't think I was, and really, I suppose I wasn't, except 31 years ago, you were just making your entrance into the world and getting your first breath of air, uh, not your first breath of oxygen. We could just take a moment and clarify that. People say when a child is born, then they get their first breath of oxygen. Well, that's not really true, because the way God has provided it, oxygen comes through the child in utero uh, through the umbilical cord. 
uh, and that that fluid is oxygenated in that way. That's how seals and underwater divers and things like that they have a they have a scientific way of uh, reversing that. I, I don't suppose it's really good for them, but the baby has been breathing oxygen right from the very beginning. But upon the moment of birth is when it takes its first <gasps> breath of air. But isn't that wonderful? Now, at what point did you start to realize that uh, that you were part of something wonderful? Part of something wonderful is an adoption. I would say that's a really good question, Mr. Well, you're, you are a part of history because you yes. were the very first baby of a thousand babies right in this one city alone as a result of that message that was brought in D.C., to people unknown to the speaker who went then across the country home with fire in their, in their you know, saying, well, we're going to do something. And then you were the first result of the chain of all of that. I guess the thing in my mind is God has a plan. Yes. And we don't have to know what the plan is, but we are available to whatever he speaks to our heart through whatever means to be available to serve him. So you are really a part of history. Yes, sir. And I hope that I can be used any way that I can. And I think sharing my story has already helped a few people. You know, I shared it on Facebook about a year ago, and then I got to speak at the Lighthouse Gala. And I want to tell as many people my story as I can so that they know Adoption is a wonderful option. Well, then let's just say in the Midwest here, I suppose, you're available uh, to speak and tell your story and and let people know the joy that you've experienced, first of all, in being allowed to live. And secondly, the wonder of having a family that loved you and raised you and gave you hope and a future. So how would they get a hold of you? They... I could give you my email address. Well, you could give me your email if you want to. I mean, it's up to you. Sure. Or Facebook. All right, Facebook. Let's say Facebook. Give us your Facebook. Sure. So you can find me on Facebook. It's Aaron R. Simpson. That's E-R-I-N, middle initial R, and then S-I-M-P-S-O-N. I'll give my email, too, if you'd like to email me and you're not on Facebook. All right. It's Aaron E-R-I-N. R is in Rebecca, S is in Simpson, 85 at gmail.com. So that's AaronRS85 at gmail.com. Aaron Rebecca. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, folks, we're going to have a song. Uh, listen to the words and see if it doesn't touch your heart. Here it is. Who will speak up for the little ones? Helpless and half abandoned. They've got a right to choose life they don't want to lose. I've got to speak up, won't you? Equal rights, equal time for the unborn children. Their precious lives are on the line. Can we be rid of them? Passing laws, passing out Bills and new amendments Pay the cost and turn about 
and face the young defendants who will speak up for the little ones helpless and half abandoned they've got a right to choose life they don't want to lose i've got to speak up won't you Many come and many go, conceived but not delivered. The toll is astronomical. Oh, how can we be indifferent? Little hands, little feet, tears for him. Forsake you now, yet he'll never forsake you. Who will speak up for the little ones, helpless and half abandoned? They've got a right to choose life they don't want to lose. I've got to speak up, won't you? to speak for him who's going to speak for him you know it's always easy for the media and it's always easy for the big shots it's always easy for planned parenthood it's always easy for the big money crowd to say oh they don't matter they don't matter don't worry about them worry about yourself just worry about yourself and don't worry about these little ones matter of fact we don't even want to call them little ones but who will speak up for them and it's only those precious people on, on, on whose heart God has laid the truth. But Aaron, what would you say uh, in, in the closing moments of the broadcast? Well, I would say that 
the main reason I would say I'm extremely grateful to be adopted is that I know the Lord now, and I'm not sure if I would have come to know the Lord had I not been adopted. So that's what I'm most grateful for. And during the course of your years, your your mother is still alive, yes. and your father has passed away. Now, your birth mother, were you ever able to know who she was or make contact? Yes, I was about four years ago now, mm-hmm. so it was a few months after my father died. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was closure to that, I'm sure. Yes, and yes, she's a very nice person. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for allowing us to get your story out across Bot Radio Network because, you know, we really are a family. We really are a family. First of all, our, our radio audience, for the most part, are brothers and sisters in Christ. doesn't matter the color. doesn't matter anything. If, if if you are a Christian, my chances are that's who our audience is made up of, but there are other people also. But the center of your life and the center of everybody's life should be, should be coming to know the Lord as their Savior and then caring about and for others. Is that it? Yes, sir. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story. It's a public service, and I'll see you later. <laughs> 